0: I have a team meeting once a month in my office, and um, I don't know what you think the components are for a good team meeting, but I work in Caution, the other side of Bath, and so we don't get together that often. So some people think that it's really important to have a really good strategy and vision. Some people think it's important to have a really good problem you can work around. Some people think it's really important to have really good team games. I think it's really important to have really good cake. So every month, I make a cake for our team meeting, and this month, I had the rhubarb in season on the allotment, and so I thought I'd make a rhubarb cake. One of my colleagues is gluten-free, so I went out, I bought the gluten-free flour, you know, I'd made this real effort, and it looked really good. I kind of, in the morning, I sprinkled icing sugar on it. it, looked great, and so there's me with my bag, my laptop, my pass, I'm almost forgotten, and then I've got my cake, and then I've got this, which is my reusable cup. And in my reusable cup, I drink uh, peppermint and licorice tea. And um, it's got this thing on the top. And I didn't realize that it was open. And so as I'm juggling everything to get it into the car, I managed to pour the entire peppermint and licorice tea on the cake. And it actually still looked really good. And I took it into the meeting, and I was like, it's sterile, honestly. I haven't haven't drank out of this peppermint tea. Um, You know, but... In terms of how it tasted, it had this really awful kind of soggy bottom. And my colleague Chris eats anything, and so he ate it anyhow. But, you know, most people politely kind of declined. Um, but, but it's really interesting because, you know, it, it still looked very beautiful, but kind of underneath it, it just kind of completely gone to mush. And that's a little bit like the passage we're looking at today. Um, Isaiah 58. And what you've got is you've got this remnant of um, kind of remnant of Israel. You've got Judah. You've got all the nations around them. You've got all this pressure, and on top, it looks like they're doing the right things. They're fasting. They're praying. They're calling out to God. But underneath, it's all rotten, and it's all soggy. So last week, Isaiah spoke. Um, sorry, Pete spoke about Isaiah 53, and he spoke about all the prophecies related to Jesus dying. And how his death was inevitable, given that the Romans didn't want a Messiah who would ask them to live a different way and to live a different life. And so they killed Jesus. And then he talked about the resurrection, this absolute miracle of um, new life, this unexpected plot twist. And it's really interesting because actually, if you look at the whole Bible and you look at this kind of little passage we're looking at today in Isaiah... It's actually part of this massive big story, which God keeps saying again and again and again. And so for this little remnant um, of Judah, they were really stressed. They were asking God what to do. They were going through the motions, but they just weren't getting the answers which they wanted, which weren't what they were looking for, which kind of almost brings us back to, um, you know, in, um, when, when they come to Jesus and they kind of say, you know, what do you want? Um, you know what do you want us to do? And he says, "Love your neighbour. And um, you know that's not the answer they want to hear. And then he tells them the story of the Good Samaritan. And you know it's kind of opening up to kind of who is our neighbour. So he just wanted to set that context in the bar for in in the beginning. And as I reflected on this passage, I may I, I realised how much it tied into everything we've been doing this whole year. So we did a series on diversity. We did a series about how. We all have God's image in us and how we may do things differently, but we are all loved by God and we're all one community. We did a series on the Sabbath and about rest, about getting away from our transactional lives and spending time with God. And obviously, we've been doing this series on Isaiah and calling us back to first principles. So we're going to start off reading the passage, which if you've got a Bible, you're really welcome to follow along. So Isaiah 58, verse 1. Shout it aloud, do not hold it back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the house of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what's right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions. They seem eager for God to come near. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarrelling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the day of fast I have chosen, only for a man to humble himself? Is it only for a bang of one's head like a reed and for lying on sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is this not the kind of fasting I have chosen, to loose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke and to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked to clothe him, And not to turn away your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. And then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry and he will say, here I am. I don't know if your kids ever ask you a question and you give them one answer. And they don't like it. And so they go and ask your partner the same question. And in this passage, they're really eager to know God's ways. um, And it looks like outwardly they're doing the right thing. But what they're not doing is they're just going and asking the same question again. They're not realigning themselves to God. They're not using the fasting to go, actually, God, what do you want in this situation? It's become about putting themselves at the center rather than about putting God at the center. And they have this visual symbol. You know, they they put ashes on their face, they lie on sackcloth. You know, to everyone else around them, it looks like, wow, they are so holy. They're doing this amazing thing. But they're continuing to live as though they haven't got that deeper relationship with God. They're asking the question and then complaining when they don't get the answer. And this passage, if you look at it, the Israelites would have pointed back Um, to a story which is in 1 Kings 21, and there's a story about King Ahab. So King Ahab is in his palace, and there is um, some lovely land which belongs to a guy called um, Napoth, and um, he has a vineyard, his vineyard has been planted by his ancestors before him. It takes a long time to grow a vineyard. And, um, you know, it's there for his children and his children's children to sit there. And the king looks at this vineyard and he goes, it's really near my, my palace, you know, make a great kitchen garden. He tries to be quite fair. He goes to Napov and he says, can I have your land? You know, I can give you some money or we could swap a piece, you know, a bit that's more convenient. And Napov says No. And for the king, he's not used to people saying no to him. And he goes off in a big sulk, he gets depressed. But you know, within the rights of the, um, the, the kind of Israelite, Israelite law, it was completely appropriate. This was his land, Napov's hand, and he did have the right to say no, even if it was to the king. So Ahab is married to Jezebel. And Jezebel is what they call up north for incomer. So um, you know, she's, not, she's not local, she doesn't serve the same god. And, you know, she knows the way to get round things, um, the way to use religion, but actually she's not following God, the God of Yahweh. And so she says, ha ha, I've got a plan. And she writes a letter in Ahab's name and proclaims a day of fasting. She says, seat Naboth in a prominent place among the people and then seat two scoundrels opposite him. And have them bring charges that he's cursed both God and the king and take him out and stone him to death. And so that's what happens. They have this day of fasting. They use it for a massive injustice. This guy gets killed and Ahab gets the land. Wouldn't it be really interesting if Ahab had turned around and said, actually, it's a day of prayer and fasting, And actually used that day of prayer and fasting to kind of realign himself with God and God's priorities and really listen to God. And actually, you know, hopefully we wouldn't have had the ending which we had there. So he took what God had used for good. He took this concept of fasting and actually he manipulated it for his own ends. Now, I used to uh, go to a church uh, just a bit south of Bristol. And um, our church very much believed in faith. And if you pray by faith, then things would change. I, I believe that now, just slightly differently to how I believed it then, as hopefully this story will illustrate. So, um, you know, we learned this in Sunday school. We learned this in our youth group. So one day, my sister had some sweets. And I said to her, can I have one of your sweets? And she said, no, because that's what sisters say. And so I went away and I thought about this. And then I went to her and I said, I've prayed, and in faith, I believe you're going to give me one of your sweets. And she gave me one of her sweets, and then I tried it again, and it didn't work. (laughs) But the, the point is that sometimes, you know, we can use the kind of language and the actions, and actually it wasn't about... It wasn't about heart, it was about a transactional relationship. And if we look at this passage, it's not about transactional, it's not about fasting to get what we want, but it's about a relationship with God. And the really exciting thing about this passage is actually God is calling us to be part of a bigger story. He's calling us to be part of his story and joining with him to bring his justice here on earth. So instead of it being about God doing it, he calls us to join in and it's about us doing it. So what does being God's holy people look like? God says, is this not the kind of fasting I have chosen, to loose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter, And when you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away your own flesh and blood. And I think that last bit is really important in terms of, you know, I think it starts at home. There's a great story um, in one of the Adrian Plass books where he becomes a new home group leader. And um, he's like, I'm available. I'm a home group leader. You know, come to me and I will um, help you out. And so, you know, somebody says, I need somebody to look after my dog. So he looks after the dog. He needs someone says, I need to um, water my plants. So he waters their plants. And then on the third day, someone has a crisis of faith. And so he goes over and prays with them. And it kind of gets the end of two weeks. And he comes home. And there's a note on the kitchen table which says kind of an abandoned family um, are in this cafe down the road. And um, you know, he's like, oh great, an abandoned family, I I can do something with this. So he goes to the cafe down the road and there's his wife and his child who are abandoned because he's so busy um, doing God's work. Um, And I think it's really important, you know, that actually we get our relationships right at home. You know, it's easy to go off sometimes and kind of sort everybody else out, but actually we need to sort out our own hearts and we need to sort out our own families. And then when he says, do not turn away your own flesh and blood, actually, we're talking about the whole of humanity here. Um, and what I really like about um, Justin Welby is we saw him a couple of weeks ago, Archbishop Canterbury. Um, we saw him a couple of weeks ago in the um, Westminster Abbey. And, you know, think of the power which was in that room. We had leaders, we had celebrities, we had the king, we had the prime minister, um, and actually, he's not afraid to then, two weeks later, to speak up, to use that power which he's got to say, actually, we're talking about humanity, and we're talking about everybody. And this week, he, um, he spoke up in the House of Lords about the migrants' bill. He said it was morally unacceptable, and he said, this bill has no sense at all in the long term and the global nature of the challenge which the world faces. It ignores the reality that global migration must be engaged with at source as well as in the channel, as if we were a country unrelated to the rest of the world. He went on to say the bill does not make any effort to tackle issues which are causing mass migration, including wars and climate change. And climate change is making countries unlivable in, it's fueling wars and causing mass migration. He says, unless we tackle the source of some of these problems, we will not break the chains of injustice. And I don't know if you ever look at the headlines. You know, I'm not in a position which, you know, um, Justin Welby's in. I don't have the power to speak to the House of Lords. I'm still waiting for my MBA one day. Um, But, but, you know, actually, it's about standing up where we are. So um, there's some headlines um, which I saw this week. And um, this one here, world likely to warm beyond key 1.5 limit by 2027, This week, if I'm honest, I saw it, and I just felt such a sense of despair. Because, you know, I can switch off my lights. I can nag my children to switch off their lights. Um, I can not fly. I can do car-sharing lifts down to Devo and other things. But actually, what difference does it make when you look at, you know, some of the other nations around the world, in fact, even our own nation, belching out carbon emissions? You know, we've got wars starting around the world, and oh, my goodness, the carbon cost of warfare. What can we do? And I was really reflecting on that and thinking, okay, what can I do? Why does what I do make any difference at all? And I really came back to Jesus and part of this kind of really big story. Um, So when Jesus came, he came as a baby. He came as somebody who was vulnerable. He didn't come with an army. He didn't come to kind of impose this is how it should be done. But he came with a message and he started to speak to people one-on-one. He spoke to, you know, he gathered 12 disciples around him and he spent time with them and he talked to them. And he told them one-on-one that life could be different, that what they were doing made a difference. And my goodness, look at how um, that has spread. And God calls us to share our food With the hungry. It doesn't say put together a UN feeding program, though that is no bad thing and I'm not knocking it at all. But he calls us to share our food with the hungry, to provide the poor wanderer with shelter. And our church, I think, does a really good job of caring for people. And we have some brilliant initiatives like Single Parents Fair, like the Home for Good um, program, which supports those who um, are fostering and adoption in our church. And sometimes as individuals, we can kind of sit under the shadow of some of these programs and think, yep, we're doing a good job. But actually, I think God calls us to more than that. And there's this um, great bit from the message, which says, um, the message, which is just like a contemporary English version of the Bible. And it says, the bottom line on your fast days is profit. The kind of fast day I'm after is to break the chains of injustice, get rid of exploitation in the workplace, free the oppressed, and cancel debts. And Christine and Kath a moment ago were speaking about getting rid of exploitation in the workplace and using those thousand dogs. I might have to make two because I might have to keep one as well. I did think that. I wasn't sure I was just going to send one to my MP. Um, you know, getting rid of that exploitation in the workplace. And that is absolutely massive. You know, how do we spend our time? How do we spend our money? How do we want goods so quickly? And what impact does that have on other people? And are we oppressing people through our own wants and our own desires? And most of us have a choice. I appreciate for some of us, we don't. um, But most of us, despite the cost of living prices, despite, you know, everything being extortionate, we can choose where we spend our money. And sometimes we can choose not to buy something. And when we talk about the chains of injustice in our communities as well, if we look at, we've got South Mead and we've got Westbury kind of, you know, just bordering on each other. And the life expectancy between the two of them is 10 years. And that's a chain of injustice. People in South Mead generally live 10 years less than people in Westbury. And all of this, it's not what I didn't want to do with this sermon was give people a list of things to do. I think people have got loads of lists of things to do. What I wanted to draw you back to is this bigger story and the fact that we are partnering with God in bringing his kingdom here on earth. So what happens when we do? In verse 8, it says, Your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. And then you will call, call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry out for help, and he will say, here I am. Don't you want to cry out to help for God, and for him to say, here I am. I was at Woody's last Sunday, because my um, daughter goes there in the evening, and they had three baptisms, and There was three unique situations with each of these girls who were being baptized. And there was just something in each of their stories which resonated with how I felt at the time. And I really felt God speak to me. and really felt this kind of sense of God saying, I am with you, you know, the kind of here I am. And I'm sure we've all got moments where, you know, you've been somewhere and, you know, it might be in church. It might be on a hillside and actually, you know, that real feeling of God saying, here I am and I'm with you. It says, Your light will break forth like the dawn. So, those pinpricks of life, those individual actions form something better. And in the message version, just go back one sec. Um, so, those pinpricks of light. So, I don't know if you've ever been to a music concert and. Um, You know, you have that moment, don't you, in most concerts, to be honest, where um, the lights go down and somebody turns on their phone and you've got the light of the phone. And then everyone else turns on their lights and it kind of goes across the stadium. You've got all those pinpricks of light. Um, And I think this is very much what it's like. We can't do something by ourselves, but God calls us to be part of his story, to be part of that bigger picture and to be that little pinprick of light so that actually we have this new dawn. And Isaiah ends in the message version. No, the bit before. On verse 8, where it says, your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. And then the final bit, how it ends, is about the Sabbath. And it's about this lack of transactional um, exploitation. And I think it's really key that it ends with the sabbath because the sabbath is where God has given the land a rest and God has given the people a rest and it's where we have you know the year of jubilee where um, you know money which has been borrowed and land which has been given to other people comes back um, to those people and people can start again it's a real sense of new beginning and I think when we look at injustice you know it's so hard Um, when we live in a country which is so privileged and where we have so much to really understand what life is like for other people. And that's why I think this Sabbath thing is really important, because it's about a resetting of everything. So Isaiah ends saying, If you watch your step on the Sabbath and you don't use my holy day for personal advantage, if you treat the Sabbath as a day of joy, God's holy day of celebration, If you honour it by refusing business as usual, making money, running here and there, then you'll be free to enjoy God. I'll make you ride high and soar above it all, and I'll make you feast on the ancestors of your ancestor Jacob. Yes, God says so. So that Sabbath, that time when we stop being transactional, that time when we realign ourselves, where we look at what we're really doing and we look at the injustice in our community and we join with God, we don't do it on our own, but we join with God in part of his bigger plan, then that gives us a freedom, that gives us a freedom which is more about money, more than about money. It gives us a freedom and it gives us the peace of knowing that God is with us in what we're doing. I'll just pray to finish. Father God, we thank you that you call us to be part of your bigger story, God. You call us to be those pinpricks of light, God, that set off a new dawn. God, you call us to be bearers of justice, God, to break the chains of injustice, to speak up on behalf of those who are impressed, God. And Father, we pray for this campaign, Lord, with these thousand dogs, God. We pray for a new watchdog for the fashion and textile industry, Lord. We just pray for your breakthrough, Lord, in the situations of how people are treated because of people's desire for more money. Father, we pray for people who are working today in factories around the world, God. Father, we pray that you would be with them, God, that you would give them safety in the machines which they're running and what they're doing. We pray that you would give us wisdom about how we spend our money. And Father, we thank you that this world is interconnected, God, that we are all part of your humanity, God. We are part of your plan. And God, that you love every single person in this world, God. And I pray that you would give us a vision big enough that with our words and our actions and our lives, we love every single person too, and the beautiful world which you created. Amen.